Let's do this. Welcome to the Infill Podcast, where we interview the most interesting members of the 3D printing and maker communities live and with audience participation. And now, here is your host, Jonathan Levy. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the most error-prone podcast on the web, the Infill Podcast. Last week, I completely forgot we had an episode because I was so focused on my kids. And this week, we have no buttons, no tech working, just two human beings talking about 3D printing without the special effects. I'm joined today, as you all can see, because I can't hide the camera scenes, by Peter Solomon, who's an acclaimed industrial designer, was chair at Savannah College of seven, seven departments, Peter, was it? Has over 20 industrial design awards hanging over his head. All that is very interesting. Has his own industrial design house, studied industrial design in Italy. But you all know him as the founder, co-founder of Wham Bam Systems. I'm so curious, Peter, to get into your whole bio. I'm not sure we're going to get to talk about 3D printing at all today. <laughs> Welcome, and thank you for coming on. How are thank you? Thank you for yeah. having me. Yeah, I'm doing well. So Peter, I'm super curious because you have lived all over the world. You've designed products. I wish I could show people because I have your website pulled up. You've designed products for products or demos or, or concepts for Bell & Howell, Boeing, Racer X. I saw Lego on here, Mattel. Tell me your life story. That should take about an hour. <laughs> I'll, I'll summarize, and then you stop me if you want to have some, some more in-depth. So I studied at, uh, at Pratt, New York. That was my first undergraduate in design. After initially starting out as an electrical engineer, I was an inventor. I always, mm -hmm. I'm never happy with the way things are. I always want to try to improve anything that I see that's not working. And, uh, and that kind of unhappiness or discontent breeds innovation in a form. Uh, I went to Pratt, New York. After that, I worked for quite a while in, in California. I was doing design as well as special effects, props, everything else, building a lot with my hands. Um, I was doing furniture lines for galleries and things, did a lot of museum exhibits. And then in 1992, I decided I wanted to get a graduate degree. This was after six years of work, and uh, I had won a scholarship to Domus in Italy. So I went to Domus get a master's degree, thinking after that I'd go back to work in the U.S. and somehow managed to stay in Italy for 18 years. Wow. And, uh, along the way, I was working for six years in a very famous design firm, and uh, I eventually opened my own studio and then two startup companies. Uh, I So far, I have, I think, seven different startup companies. Uh, unfortunately, it's almost an addiction that I just can't stop. I have an idea, and if none of my clients wants to do it, I, I just do it. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, it's kind of crazy. So I, I really got rooted in Italy. I got married to an Italian, and we had our first son in Italy before we moved back. Um, I had a company that was, at the time, doing stackable garden furniture, and uh, that'll lead back to some of the first 3D print projects. Um, and I had another company doing very high-end, all-carbon fiber guitars. Um, I was consulting for every type of industry, musical instruments, office furniture, airplanes, buses, trains, cars, uh, sporting goods, you name it. Um, wow. and then, yeah, it was, it was really exciting. And somehow along the line, I really defined 
my focus, which was trying to resolve problems for the end user with innovative solutions. So mm -hmm. it's really all about a long research process to find out where the problems were, the workarounds, the difficult entities that most people just accept as, oh, that's just the way it goes. And if I could resolve those first, identify them, and then resolve them with innovative solutions, then we create products that the end users say, well, why didn't somebody think about that before? It's just right for me. And that builds brands and makes market leaders. And 99% of the time, our products were the showcase of the trade shows and everybody was around them wow. saying, what is this? It was really a lot of fun. And like you said, I, I won, I think, over 22 international design awards, including wow. the Golden Compass, the Compass d'Oro from Italy two times which is the greatest award <laughs> to me. And uh, in uh, 2010, I moved back to the States. My, uh, my first son, when I was 45 years old, uh, and my wife were complaining that I didn't have the time to spend with the family, with all the other activities I was doing. We yeah. decided I had, had to move and relocate and, and find a position with one company and get away from all of these holdings. So. Savannah College of Art and Design, SCAD, recruited me to um, run seven departments. And the whole point of them bringing me over was to make it the best design education in the world. And that was a challenge I couldn't turn down. I said, until now, I've, I've taught at Instituto Europeo di Design, that's an Italian design school, part-time, once a semester to give back. But they never really wanted to hear from me about curriculum changes or my point of view. So when somebody said, we want to hear what you would do, wonderful you know i went over there it was it was a wow. lot of fun it was a lot of fun until they changed some structure and they didn't want to hear my ideas anymore and asked me to be more of a of an academic and that wasn't for me so i left and did my own design work all over again from i'm down in florida and somewhere along the line i had been contributing to 3d printing forums and to do maker spaces and do it yourself forums all along just sharing my own little tips and tricks you know how yeah. to glue rubbers how to 3d print this how to make an upgrade i would share my models share my tips and uh some people started just say hey, we don't even want to know how to do it just give it to us make it for us and one of them was the first magnetic flexible build plate systems and cool. uh yeah, they a lot of people just said, tell us, you know, instead of telling us how to do it, just offer. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I went home to my wife. I said, I think I'm going to start a company. I'm going to call it Wham Bam. <laughs> just I just thought, pop it off. Wham Bam. It's done. Yeah. She said, you're crazy. Another company. And uh, and I contacted my uh, my colleague in Taiwan who I'd worked with for a long time for sourcing and manufacturing. Mm -hmm. Stephen is a great friend and a great partner. I said, we're obviously going to have to produce in Asia because of the cost competitiveness, because these are for 3D printers that were a lower cost. And then I contacted uh, my marketing and SEO person, Melinda, and the three of us formed the company Wambam. And that was it five years ago today. Uh, wow. July 1st was our anniversary. So Congrats. this is our Thank you. As a matter of fact, Wham Bam's running a 5% sale. If you didn't catch the earlier bigger sales, we're running it all through the end of the month. So Awesome. Anybody we'll put a link website. in the description as well. I want to ask, because as far as I know, it's it's like you and Tom Ford who have succeeded as Americans in Italy. I can only imagine with the Italian bravado and also like the, the pride, the national pride that Italians have being some of the best designers for the last couple centuries, 
was it hard as an American coming in and, and making a name for yourself in Italy designing for these companies? Or did you get the stamp of approval because you were educated in Italy? Um, both. There, there was a click, always was a click of these famous designers who stayed together and I just had to be humble and prove myself. I came in with a little bit of something different because I had the American technical background. I know how to build things and make things work. So I come up yep. with these fantasy ideas, but I'd bring in a working prototype to the engineers and they'd say, well, we have to do that. And somehow, you know, I just took my own little space and made my mark and became part of that group, which was nice. It was very nice. That's very, very cool. Like I said, Italians pride themselves so much on design. So to be able to earn the respect of probably, let's be honest, I mean, the, the Germans are the best engineers in the world, but when it comes to design and designing beautiful products, it's the Italians. So that's like yeah. a, an extra special, you know, honor. And as you said, the, the, passion, the passion of the Italian design with the American technical, which would be similar to the German technical and, you know, brought my own tune to the table. What did you, what are you most proud of that you've designed throughout your career? Uh, I get that a lot. I'm so in love with every project I do because of the background stories and mm -hmm. what we go through and what the original client asked me to do rather than what actually came out of it after the research. Sure. But I'd say the most exciting one that really took me um, to new places was the carbon fiber guitar. I'll show it to you. Right. You said um, you did a whole company around that. Yeah. Originally, this was an all carbon fiber guitar. It was the world's first. And uh, brilliant. So the amazing musicians in the world play it, still play it, have played it. Um, and I was what are the benefits of it being carbon, just a lot lighter to, to lug around? When I was commissioned to do this, it was for a wooden luthier in Italy, small entity. And um, the head of marketing I knew, and he said to me, you've innovated everything in the world, but the electric guitar really hasn't been touched for 40 years. So what would you do? So I studied everything about guitar before I even thought it would be a carbon fiber guitar. I studied what makes great sounds. Uh, the physics of sound acoustics, um, mm -hmm. the myth of what maybe luthiers and other people believe contribute to sound, playability. I interviewed a lot of great guitarists to see what they wanted. And um, I came up with a product which its form itself is super light and compact and nice to carry on the body. It's form fitted. That's awesome. um, the materials are incredible. They conduct sound much better than wood ever would. Um, wow. They broadcast a wider range of sounds. So if you put a sound through brass, you're going to get all the very good highs. That's why they make bells out of brass. Yeah. If you put a wood, a wood you get the lows and mids. Right. But when you put it through in fiber, you get the whole tonal range. And Stradivarius was even using it as reinforcements and face plates of some of their best violins. Okay, I think and we have to hear you play this thing a little bit. I, I will not play it after being backstage with the most amazing players. But the other amazing thing about it is um, it's so rigid that the sustain lasts forever. That was weird. The buttons decided to work. We're back, though. Yeah. Sorry about that. So anyway, no, it was, it was a great experience. Actually, it was really a fun experience converting it from idea to 3D because back then, um, you know, 3D was great and it was starting, but we would always start with um, sketches and then foam carvings, 
from 2D wow. draw. And uh, that is one of the final models. We must have made like 50 of these until we got it right. And then we took that and uh, we used a program back then called Solid Thinking mm-hmm. and uh, the surfacing for it and, uh, and had the first pieces milled out to spec and then finally made the carbon fiber wow. uh, mold. But back then it was a lot of back and forth between 2D design to 3D quick hand models. Right. But if you to make a change, you'd make it to the 2D design. That way we knew that the program in the computer was accurate. You can't just change it and then you have no idea where it went. Um, so it was a lot of back and forth and it was very interesting. Do you still find yourself actively doing design work or is Wham Bam pretty much your focus these days? Um, Wham Bam has taken over 99% of my time. I still have my design studio when I can take on a smaller client, but even for Wham Bam, I'm the design director. So all the products come from me and, uh, we have a team of technical assistants that, that are both designing, testing, helping me out everywhere. So yeah, cool. there's satisfaction in that. You mentioned a lot of 2d models and, you know, computer software that wasn't ideal when you do design something obviously wham bam has different criterias but if you're going to design something for yourself around the house what tools do you like because on the one hand you know you're 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 a, a trained designer right like you've probably used all the different cad softwares on the other hand there's always new software coming out so what's your what's your process and your uh software stack now well, I guess the process for designing something around the house is always deciding if it is even necessary to go to 3D or if I'm just going to hack it out of wood or steel. But right. if it goes to 3D, we've recently switched over to Fusion. Um, okay. I like it. I'm not as proficient. I was such a SolidWorks user. Um, you know, I'll go back in time. So I started off before there was really a lot of 3D programs in design. Right. Alias was out there if you had a Silicon Graphics mainframe for a half a million dollars um, and slowly saw the software and the machine availability coming into range and started playing around with 3D Studio Max. There was an amazing program out of France called uh, Amapi. Um, and it was called uh, Amapi by Yanawat because these French guys loved a Bugs Bunny cartoon and they would say, I'm happy. You know what? I'm happy. You know what? I'm happy. And it was such a great interface. I really wish it was still around. You just grab a tool and throw it away by running your mouse off the screen, grab another tool. And I really, really became proficient there. It was wonderful. The only problem was that you took a NURBS object or a smooth object. And as soon as you did a Boolean, it would convert to polygons and it wasn't very nice. And I remember my salesman who just said I was like uh, the highest level of AMP back in the day saying to me, there's a new program that does what you want it to do. I'm going to show you this beta. And he brought me in this back room and showed me Rhino for the first time beta. And that just tripped me out. And I learned Rhino and loved it. And uh, somewhere along the way, uh, you know, I needed more of an engineering program, switched to right. SolidWorks, used that for many, many years. And wow. uh wasn't for the expense of the licenses and some of the non, non-friendly business practices they started to install, I, I would have stayed with that. But uh, now I use Fusion cool. and uh, I throw it right over to the 3D printers, whether it's FDM or resin, as yeah. soon as I have an idea. You know. Now, I, I would tell the audience that I promise we'll get to 3D printing soon, but I'm still really interested in, in just your mind. And I have a, a fair bit of jealousy, I think, because I would... 
I, I think I would have been very happy to become an industrial designer and I was kind of pushed away from it because I wasn't very good at math. So no one took me down the engineering path and I was kind mm -hmm. of always told like you stick to the soft sciences. But I, I want to ask, um, you know, you mentioned giving back. You've done a lot of teaching of design. For folks in the audience, I think personally, I'm pretty sure you'll share this opinion that like a 3D printer is really, really cool, but it's more of a gateway to understanding how you can solve problems. And it's this moment of empowerment more than any other tool. I've got every power tool under the sun practically, but this 3D printer is a gateway to like, I can dissolve. It's like you know, the Steve Jobs thing. I can change the world around me and I can design things and I can make things better than they're made. And what are some starting steps, resources, websites, courses, books that you would recommend, you know, if one of your kids or grandkids or whatever was saying, Hey, Peter, I want to get into design, maybe not as a career, but I just want to think like a designer and I want to be able to design things and solve problems the way you have. What are the resources that you would point them to? Uh, for starting designers, that's a hard one. I'm, I don't have off the head, top of my head the books or the resources that mm -hmm. say there's so many great um, books out there on industrial design and design process. Um, I think the most important thing to do is if, if you're trying to do it on your own for yourself and not as yeah. necessarily profession, I would say just start to try to think of the problem, model something out, print it out and test it and never think that the first try is ever going to be even close to your final. Right. Um, usually it takes me about 50 prints until I get it right. Wow. It's, yeah. I mean, really, it's it's a tool. It's a work in process. And yeah. in order to get something really nice, it's an iterative design. And you have to accept failure as much as success. And the failure is the best part to learn from and let other people try it. Yeah. I was designing a monofin for mermaids and uh, the, the foot forms that were available for female feet were not at all ergonomic. They were to make feet look very elegant and thin, but they weren't for propulsion and comfort. So I actually measured hundreds of women's feet with a special tools that I made to measure them quickly and trace them, put them into 3D, printed them out in U, had them test it, told me it was rubbing here or good there. And every foot's different. Foots have bumps, different places and different shapes. And it took so long until I had one that almost everybody who put their foot into said, this is the most comfortable thing in the world and created my ergonomic form that then developed around a series of other innovations in the monofin. Uh, and cool. that was that was also a good design award that we got. Very, very cool. Um, are there any designers that you look up to throughout your career that you've said, wow, you're inspired by their work? Oh, there's so many. I think, um, and I'll name a couple of Italians as well as others. Alberto Meda, I don't think too many know about him in outside of Italy, but this guy was just, he combined engineering with design mm -hmm. to make some of the coolest things. He made a super lightweight chair out of carbon fiber before anybody was ever using carbon fiber. He made a, a light out of titanium sheets before Apple ever used titanium. And he would combine things to find a poetic beauty in it. Uh, a guy from Germany, Ingo Maurer, would do similar with lighting, which I really appreciated. Ron Arid in Israel uh, for his incredible forms and love of metal and interesting shapes. Um, 
I, I think there's just so many that I think are, are amazing and each one has their own um, element they brought to it. I, I still remember the first time I went to Barcelona and saw Gaudi's work after studying it for years and just incredible architecture that blew me away. You know, every single time I, I see somebody's work in person and uh, especially if I can meet them, Gaudi was not the case because he's gone for a long time. But if I get to meet them and get to ask them, it's just, it's a great exchange. Really cool. So I imagine you encountered 3D printing pretty early on, maybe before consumer 3D printers were even a thing. Tell me about your indoctrination into the world of 3D printing. Sure. Yeah, I was, you know, I was around as the first machines came out, stereolithography machines. Of course, there was CNC and subtractive, but additive. Um, the first machines were millions of dollars and uh, nobody could really own them. It was they were in a few service bureaus and you'd pay a ton to use it. Um, I still remember I, I brought it out for this occasion. Um, this chair, I was working on a stackable garden chair, which later I'll show you the photos of it the events. We designed this in 3D, first in paper and then in 3D. Um, but this cost me $2,000 to make. I actually had three or four of them that broke in transport back to the US a lot more elaborated. But $2,000 for something, what would that cost now? Like 50 cents in PLA? Probably. No. Yeah. yeah. And I probably waited about two weeks. Uh, you know, the process is extremely slow. I had to wait my turn. And uh, but it was extremely helpful in us learning about stackability and economy and structure. It's so, really high quality for a very old 3D print. I mean, I can't see yeah. any layer lines or anything. Well, I had sanded and primed it a long time ago, ah, but okay. you know, I mean, you could kind of see it here. We were even putting on clay and modeling where we want some other structural ribs, ribs yep. to go. Um, and that's on my website that Ultra. I don't know if you have the possibility to switch screens, if not. Let's um, let's see if the buttons work now. All right, here we go. One, two, cross fingers. All right, we have a screen. We have all the screens. Let's show only one screen. Which screen? Ultra. Got it. All right. We're right. up. Cool. Everyone can see it. I don't see it, but hopefully everybody sees it. So the, the chair eventually it came out in, in, in uh, mass production in an injection mold that weighed eight tons. Oh my um, God. Yeah, it was an incredible mold. It cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. And uh, thank God we, we had 3D design and 3D printing to go back and forth before we made any major mistakes. But this was a a chair that was made to be elegant and super comfortable with my own ergonomics, but at the same time sell for $15 in kind of Home Depot type of um, mm -hmm. big box stacking and shipped in mass. And uh, that won quite a few awards and was published in tons of magazines and books. Uh, it was really nice. It was also in a great book, um, chair design that uh, featured only, you know, multi-thousand dollar chairs. And we had a $15 chair in the book, which was amazing. That's really cool. So, that was nice because that was like the the preface of us moving from 3D directly into stereolithography and then into making the molds and verifying along the way. And there was the missing gap. Before that, we would go from 3D to 2D, cut it out by hand, verify, make a change mm -hmm. again. So this was the first time it was all working together. It really worked. And then 
Slowly, I started to run a few labs that had a lot of Stratasys machines. Over at SCAD, we had um, nine Stratasys machines. I ran a couple of other labs with objects and Stratasys multi-material machines. These were all hundreds of thousand dollar machines. And, you know, it still seemed inaccessible to me in my design firm when I opened it up. And when the first machines came out under 10,000, I just started snatching them up. I was so impressed that we could actually test and play with it. And uh, a few years later, my life was shattered when I started seeing these Creality machines come out for $500 and the forums were saying, these will print as good as these nicer machines that you have. So I bought one and with a little bit of tuning and mods, I got it to print like my multi-thousand dollar machines. So I eventually sold those machines while I still could and made a farm of mostly Creality FDM printers and made a bunch of mods. And that's where I found out the power of, um, of social community because you couldn't get any answers from Creality. The instructions stunk. Uh, there was no right. back and forth, but the community was there and everybody was chipping in, oh, how do you do this and how do you in uh, improve that? And we were all sharing. And that's that's really why Wambang came out because I saw that the modding and the community was there. So I was receiving as much as I was giving back, hopefully. And, uh, you know, looked for problems and tried to solve them wherever possible. If it was something that was 3D printable, I just shared the files and it's quite yeah. a few files out there that I've made. But when it was something that was a little more elaborate, then I started to say, hey, you know, if this works with Wham Bam, we're going to bring it in. That's cool. And what was the first product? Was the first product really uh, a build plate? Yeah, our first product was the magnetic build system. We call it our flexible build system. So it was the flexible magnet, the um, spring steel plate, and a sheet of PEX, which is our own formula material. Um, then you you had to include it yourself onto the the flex the build plate onto the flexi plate, the magnet onto the bed. We were the first ones to have this combination at a very similar time. Prusa had embedded magnets as well as um, right. BuildTech. Prusa was trying to develop the powder painted PEI. BuildTech right. had their PC surfaces. We came up with the idea that those were all proprietary per machine or per the line. We wanted to make something that anybody could add on at a lower weight. Um, weight was a factor for these bed slingers um, and uh, higher performance. And we engineered everything. We engineered the magnets to resist 150 C before they reach the Curie point, the point which they'll permanently lose magnetism. Right. Uh, have a stronger magnetism. We created uh, alternating polarity patterns and did everything we could to push the limits. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, we improved our build surfaces and uh, we had six sizes when we started out. Now in FDM, we have, I think, over 35. Um, wow. Way too many. And then we opened up for resin as well. And uh, that took off and we have just as many in resin, maybe more. Wow. Yeah, so people are commenting in the comments. I saw someone say, uh, let's see, someone said that Wham Bam is the absolute best build surface on their Bamboo Lab. That was Stefan 3D. I have Wham Bam plates on my Voron and on my uh, Bamboo. I like the textured plates though. I, I use the Wham Bam when I need precision and like cleanliness i use the texture when i want it pretty someone did ask in the comments why no textured plates from wham bam we do have textured plates um, they're 
texture PEI, we don't have them for every, uh, for every size. I think people with the bamboo might have seen we we're hesitant to put one out because bamboo had a whole bunch of texture plates. And right. We didn't really want to. LiDAR and all that stuff, yeah. But we do have one for bamboo that's a thicker, heavier duty plate. We wanted to add something. It's our XTR plate. Our XTR line is our thicker and heavier duty line. Usually we make them for yep. the larger um, prosumer industrial machines. We made one for the bamboo. It's brand new. Um, that way cool. people who have a problem with warping and issues, we have it. Cool. But yeah, we really, even that, it was tough because people are selling them for peanuts. And yeah. I've seen these factories, I've seen the quality of the product that comes from them and they use rusty steel and there's a good chance that the the PEI comes off. There's an inconsistency of PEI layer. Um, there's a variety of steel they use. There's never a consistent flow. And of course, the, the glues are all knockoff uh, 3M. They're counterfeit 3Ms. And, you know, they, they managed to get a great, great price point with all these knockoffs. But Wham Bam can't do that. We have to stand behind our guarantee of quality and high right. performance. We do right. something absolutely has to be proven the best by us. It takes us about a year to get a new product out to market, if you can believe wow. it. Even though I'm dying to get it out there and we have the greatest product between improving it in production and manufacture, beta testing it, further improving it, and then making the mass production and getting it to our wow. fulfillment center. It takes like a full year. So we have a lot of different products out there. That's why yeah. you would think once you have something perfected, like the PEX that you guys have developed, it's just a matter of cutting it into the right shape. And like you guys have done the R&D, but you're saying, no, it takes a whole lot. Or or you're saying when you do something new like XTR, okay. that takes it. So, so both. If, if we're just doing another form of something we've done for a long time, that doesn't yeah. take as long. It takes quite a bit of working back and forth with beta testers to make sure it fits on their machine. It works with their bed leveling. Right. If it's uh, resin, we have to work with how it trips the Z-limit, any other adjustments. So yeah. we do do a bit of back and forth before we ever even make it available to the public. But I'm yeah. talking about a new product category, which we're always developing. And um, wow. we have about... 40 on the table. What always happens is at least 50 of them, we can't go forward because it would either be too expensive for what the perceived value is. Everybody compares the cost right. of the pro the upgrade to what they paid for the machine. The machines are so cheap Naturally. now that Naturally, it's yeah. difficult, but um, we have to make a good qual quality product or because somebody else comes out with a version before us. And that's happened a few times and it gets you so angry. You know, yeah. we had one of the uh, cure stations we were working on similar to our hot box and that got canned right in the in the works when you know a couple of ma manufacturers came out with the cure station there's quite a few other projects like that but when it does make it to production then we we have all the setup to do of getting it into our warehouses getting it on the website getting samples out to everybody and then we can launch it and we have about five new products coming to market very soon which i'm very awesome. excited about I want to get into those and I want to hear about your experience, uh, you know, having a partnership with someone in Asia. Uh, but first, I do have to take a quick moment and thank this video's sponsor, which is PCBWay. Speaking of production in Asia and finding high quality production in Asia, which, as you know, is very, very hard. PCBWay does it all, you guys. They do industrial 3D printing. They do PCBs, obviously but they also do CNC machining. They do sheet metal fabrication. They can do injection molding for you. They can cut out titanium for you and they can do even metal 3D printing. And even if you don't know how to design stuff, 
I don't know how to design a lot of stuff in PCBs. I certainly don't. Check out their shared projects because people much smarter than me, people like Peter, will design things like PCBs or all different kinds of projects, and then they'll upload them. And these are really, really cool projects that you can do with your family, with your kids. You know, you want to build a spot the robot dog, you can do it. You want to build a combat robot, you can do it. And all you have to do is click one button and you get all the PCBs from the person who has designed them to you. And that person earns a commission when you buy their designs on PCB way. It's a really, really cool way just to spur innovation and let us all not 3D print more, you know, articulated dragons, but actually 3D print some stuff that we can expand our skills, build out some really, really cool projects, and maybe uh, maybe win some BattleBots competitions as well. So thanks to PCBWay. Check the link in the description. They're awesome people to work with, huge supporters of the channel. Tell me, Peter, do you know how to design PCBs? That one has always been over my head. I am not an electronics engineer. I know the components that go on there and how to work with electrical engineers to get what I want. Yep. And how to make my suggestions to improve. Yep. So, yeah. It's um, like we, uh, we... when I, I did an MBA, I'm a little ashamed to admit, and we learned accounting and the person, the, the professor was like, now I have no illusions about the fact that any of you are ever going to do any actual accounting, but you do need to know what to ask for so that someone who with a better mind for numbers will actually, you know, give you what you want. Um, tell me about the whole experience of, of, you know, I think a lot of times, especially right now, we see Taiwan, China as competition, right? And undercutting. You have a very interesting business model. You have a business partner, I think you said is in Taiwan. And so you have, have leaned into, hey, we can't beat Asia for production. What's that experience been like? And, and yeah, I want to hear all about it. So we design and develop all the products in-house in the USA. Mm -hmm. My business partners in Taiwan. We have a small team over in Taiwan that runs production. And we have a team on the ground in China of about eight people that make sure everything gets done the way we want to and develops the way we want to. Um, China has been a wonderful resource for many, many companies. It's also has its million pitfalls. I mean, I know many people go over there and order a uh, container full of product that they've already agreed, agreed on and what comes over is completely different. Um, right. In our we have complete quality control, quality assurance, and we work with a select group of manufacturers. One is dedicated fully to wham bam. Um, we cannot own a factory in China as a foreigner, but we can kind of take over the production and make an agreement to work with them exclusively. So we have yeah. our own our own little group of producers that are working with us and it goes relatively well. Um, you know, there are the times that uh, we have communication gaps. I'm making a million videos and doing a lot of teleconferencing uh, and they're calling every manufacturer and holding the phone up to the screen as I'm doing a napkin sketch. Um, since COVID, I haven't been able to go over there, but I'm planning a trip at the end of August um, to go over and meet with everybody again and work with them. But it's it's an interesting experience. The the hardest thing for me about Asia are all the the copiers. I mean, yeah, we come up with a product, and as soon as it's on our website, somebody's copying it with cheaper quality materials, right. poorer solutions. They just see what it's done, they put it out there, and they say, "Here it is." It's a a third of the cost of women. We can't even make it for the price that they're selling it for uh, half the time wow. because they're using the, the worst materials possible. 
and it's just a fact of the of the business. So we have to keep on innovating, keep on in, uh, offering the best quality, and hopefully people realize that you know if um, it's the free choice of the consumer. If they want to buy something at the lowest price, they should. If they're totally. trying to make an upgrade and want the best possible, that's what we're trying to provide. Yeah. We talked about this a little bit on the episode where I interviewed Dr. Tao from Bamboo Lab because I there's a shift and I, I'm interested to hear as a designer your perception. And I asked him, you know, because he was at DJI, his whole team was at DJI. And I think DJI was, at least in the West, that was um, maybe like the vanguard. But now we're seeing it, right? Like BYD just got to Israel, right? And they have all these electric cars and they're not copying anybody. And we saw it with DJI, we see it with Bamboo. And, you know, people have their gripes, like, oh, they copied Core XY from the Voron project. But the pro the product is not a copy. Design-wise, it's not a copy. And now you're even seeing, like, Bamboo is being a victim to this as well. So people are, there's a company in China, HS3D, I had the product here, where they came out with a knockoff nozzle of the Bamboo hot end, but it's better because it fits a V6 and it has hardened materials and you can replace it faster and da, 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 and all this stuff. So it's, I think, really cool to see that that arc. And there is always going to be the copycats, right? But to see that arc of like, no, no, there are some really phenomenal industrial designers coming out of Shenzhen right now. I'm interested to hear your, your take on that as a designer and also as an entrepreneur. Yeah, I think, you know, if, if they're taking the time to research and make innovation and make something better, it's really uh, my hat's off to them. If they're just simply copying and doing it cheaper, that's yep. what I look for the most. But I saw this through my career. Like I said, I, I did school in, in the 90s, uh, late 80s. And uh, back then, Japan was the cheap place to make things. And was <laughs> there was a horrible... Um, saying we would have between designers that the only thing Japan ever invented was the photocopy machine to, to photocopy. Yeah. But then what happened, Japan invested a lot in innovation and design. Yep. And they came, they studied American manufacturing, our yep. car manufacturing, especially they brought it back, they improved on it, and they went miles ahead. When right. I was in Italy, Taiwan invested a lot of money, they created the Taipei Design Center, Taiwan Design Center. And they had an office in uh, Munich, one in Milan, one in New York City. And they offered any manufacturer in Taiwan to pay for an, a foreign designer from Italy, from Germany or from New York. And I, I worked on a few of these, uh, the design work and pay for the molds in order to get great new design and IP coming into Taiwan. And it created a new culture and it educated them. Taiwan was just the copiers. Um, yep. back then. Now they have some amazing brands and amazing products. And the same with Korea. I had classmates from Korea that yep. their education, their living was paid for completely by the Korean government with yep. the only agreement when they were when they graduated, they were forced to go back to Korea and work at least for seven years. Yep. And they created their line. China's next on the list. It's going to take a long time to change the mentality that they've really ingrained about uh, copying. I'll, I'll tell you a funny side story if we have the time. I was I was in China on one of the trips. I was you know looking for secrecy and protection IP with the new factories we were interviewing. Um, we're looking for quality, <clears throat> and my partner Stephen is ushering me everywhere. <clears throat> Excuse me, and he tells me that 
this woman sales representative from one of the factory wants to meet with me for lunch. We had already met them. I said, I really don't want to. Oh, please. She's begging me. So I did that. And then a the couple of days later on the way to the airport, she has to meet you again. She has a gift. I said, I don't want to. I said, let's just get to the airport. And we stop at a rest stop on the way. And I said, what's going on? He says, we, she just wants to give you a gift. So <laughs> we pull over half the time. I never knew what they were saying. They were just agreeing on things on their own and pull over. And she's there waiting with a gift for me. And she said, just to show you the quality of what my factory produces, here are two imitation Rolexes for you. Have a look at how incredible these are made. And I looked at them like you're telling you're missing me the point. You're missing the point. You, I was, I was asking about protection of IP and new product, and you're just showing me quality of a copy. And as soon as she left, I gave them to Steve, and I said, "Get rid of these. I'm not bringing them on the plane with me." Yeah, yeah, um, that's a huge risk. In Italy, you can actually serve jail time for uh, yeah, fakes. And and I, I didn't. And I mean, like you said, she missed the point. It's ingrained into their nature just because for so long they've been the world's copiers. A right. startup in America wants to make something. They take the, the competitor's product, they send it over there and say, can you make a change and make this cheaper? And they'll do it for you. I mean, they did right. what where they lied. So it's going to take a long time until they all have that same level of right. knowledge innovation will them further. That was Dr. Tao's, when I asked him, I said, what changed in the last five years? You know, it's not just DJI. And he said, basically his summary was Chinese started traveling and they started going to Europe and they started seeing like the actual products that they're, you know, that were being copied. He's like, we went out in the world and we started seeing things and now we under you know we get it we're part of the global community and so we understand the market we understand the need and look china's got some great schools great great universities so it's very interesting to me and it's uh, it's it saddens me when people immediately write off anything made in china because you guys have demonstrated that there is phenomenal quality made in china and taiwan and bangladesh for that matter but it is a matter of like philosophy, right? Is are you making the best? I mean, Tesla is making cars in China now. Yeah. Are you making Listen, the best or are you? Yeah. Yeah. If you have the quality control methods and process and right. you go in there saying, this is what I want. It has to be the best and you develop it correctly. You can, many companies are, you're making amazing products in China. If you just go to anybody and say, hey, can you do this for me? You're going right. to get the worst, but it right. takes some definite effort to do it. Uh, you know, a funny little story. Once again, do you know who owns Segway? No. So Segway, you know, of course, the, the balancing vehicles, interesting brand. They never managed to really diffuse at a certain point. They're being sold as tourist uh, yeah. rental, you know, in different cities. It was just too expensive and they couldn't get it out there. And their number one knockoff copier uh, was selling it at a much lower price by the boatloads. And they finally found enough money to actually buy Segway. Buy Segway. Not only That's to funny. name, they adopt their, their innovation, their thought, and bring it five steps further. So, you know, That's it's they're, yeah, they're taking their steps, whether it's buying it out or sending their students to schools. I know in most of the schools that I was teaching at, there was a large population of Chinese students in industrial design program paid sure. by the government. Sure. Yeah. Volvo now, I think, is owned by a Chinese company. Jaguar is owned by an Indian company, Tata. 
group. And there's a lot of these, right? It's like, you can buy, you can buy your way to learning, right? The Soviets tried to do it for a long time. It didn't work out for them, but you can buy, you know, you can buy, uh, uh, design cultures. And, um, I once heard the head of design, I saw a documentary on the head of design of Chrysler and he goes, South Korea won't name any names, but you know, there are three or four major car companies in South Korea. He's like, they just, they flew over here on private jets and they hired my entire design team. He's like, you ever notice that Hyundai's are looking really good these days? It's all Americans. You know what? I have to find the book, but there, there was a great book. Um, I went to Pratt with a, a great friend of mine, Alfonso, Alfonso Abiza, who's now the head of design for Nissan. Uh, and uh, what's the other in Citroën, the whole group. Mm -hmm. But um, way back when he was recruited by Nissan's California satellite entity, mm -hmm. Um, and Jerry Hirschberg, who ran that team, was the first one to create an American satellite for a Japanese car company. And with a very small team, he said, we're going to compete with the Japanese 300 designers with only four designers and eight engineers. And we're going to compete for any car project. And if we win, we only ask that you give us the job of completing the car. And uh, that was the start. So many companies have copied that since then. Japanese companies yeah. have opened satellite firms in, in the U.S. But Jerry made a, such a great book on um, something creativity, uh, directing creativity. I have to remember the name of the book, but he wrote a great book about how to manage creativity in a, in a productive sense, but also the cultural clashes between the Japanese and the Americans and some really great stories. But it's really worth reading because it was right at the revolution of the Japanese coming into their yeah. own and yeah. how that worked. So I do want to spend a little bit of time talking about uh, 3D printing and ask you, you yeah. know, about you and it, are you 3D printing as a hobby or for you is it, is it still or I guess at this point just for work and developing? Are, do you have 3D printers at home or only at the office? Uh, I've taken them out of the home. I, I actually try to keep as much technology out of the home, even though I have my laptop in the cases that I need it. But yeah. way too many times I would... Um, I would just be working all the time. I'm I'm a workaholic, unfortunately, and that's bad for family. Um, sure. But we have endless amounts of 3D printers here, I and imagine. I find I find a model that I like. You know, I, I fell in love with with that one recently. Wow. Nothing beautiful sculpt, not my design, but gorgeous. I just, you know, and sometimes everybody in here is everybody in Wambam is encouraged to learn how to 3D print if they don't already know how to do it. The receptionist, uh, we're trying to teach the new finance person. We want everybody to have the culture of the passion, whether they're into cosplay or miniatures or printing tools or whatever it be. Um, and yeah, we're, we're constantly, I'm always throwing something on the printer, whether it's That's a awesome. new concept of my own for Wambam, an innovation for the home, some hobby product, That's you know, great. I saw this model and so wanted to paint it up a fester that wow. printed, you know, and painted it up. And, you know, those kind of things that happen all the time. That's great. Uh, yeah. Uh, so. If you just need something to work, you, you guys have a lot of 3D printers, I imagine. You need a print to just work. Which 3D printer are you sending it to? You're going to know. <laughs> what do you think? Bamboo. The bamboo. Yeah. Yeah. And it's terrible. We have a Bamboo uh, X1C, the original Kickstarter. We have a P1P. We got the Anchormate M5, which we got right at the same time. And then we've got a slew of other printers. 
and it goes in that line. Everybody in the studio is sending it right away to the X1, if not to the P1B, then to the anchor me. And it's like, guys, spread it out. You, you, I want There's everybody 50 to spread printers, out. yeah. I want our tech team to have time on all the machines because also constant printing is the only way we're going to find issues or conflicts. Right. Somebody tells us about a filament that's sticking too well or not enough. Yep. We need to get on all the machines and see what's happening uh, and try to resolve that. Yep. But yeah, it's just like it's too easy to send it to the bamboo and know it's going to work and also send it from the computer and, you know, yep. everything yep. else. So I'm going to blow your mind and I'm going to say that I discovered a printer that has that same level of it just works and you're going to laugh because it's a printer that had major issues and they recalled it. The Chidi mm. X max three showed up this week. I've not had a single failed print and I've been running it constantly. I've been printing ABS, PLA, PETG. This thing is a beast and I'm, I'm really trying to find like what's wrong with it. Oh. It is a beast and it's 330 by 330. So it's like, Okay, I'll I leave it at the office. I'm like, I'll just load the entire plate with 50 different things I need in black ABS and come back tomorrow and it's it's like bamboo level quality. Really? Stunning. I'm blown away by it. Actually blown away. And uh, the intelligence doesn't know if there's an error or there's uh there's no camera even. So that's that's the shortcoming. It's the price of the bamboo, but there's no camera, none of that, but it's also 330 by 330 build volume. So um, you know the plate size. <laughs> three thirty by three thirty. Uh, I can measure it for you tomorrow. No problem. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, I'll measure I'm, it for I'm, you. But I'll check out the machine. I'm it's, always. Uh, looking. I'm. I mean, shocked. I we really don't need new machines, but whenever something's really good, we always try to get it, especially if we think that the the rest of the the community is going to start jumping onto it. So we just I don't, keep on. I don't know. I, I feel like if Bamboo comes out with, you know, the the X1E or whatever, someone, Nathan Builds Robots saw a patent application. So if Bamboo yeah. comes out, you know, and, and they can compete at that price, people are going to go with the Bamboo, maybe, probably. But um, but this thing is good. It's just really, really hard to, to stand out as much as Bamboo has, you know? Yeah, Bamboo made so many innovations and just made yeah. it so friendly and right. it's unfortunate when the copiers are only trying to imitate the bamboo even the look and the style right. and everything rather than saying right. what did they do right where was the innovation how can we go further right right so all playing patch up you know and i i think bamboo already has that leading edge because they've they spent all that r d time to just get where they are and now for the last year since launch they've been improving and thinking what the next product is. So I think they're going to keep. Yes. And, and I, I roasted, uh, the Creality K one last week because it's, as you said, it's also ran carbon copy. Um, but, uh, how do I do this without getting in trouble? (laughs) I think, I suspect that bamboo is smart enough from what I've seen of their business strategy. With no insider knowledge, I suspect that they are smart enough to say, if someone's going to cannibalize us and make our product obsolete, it might as well be us. Yeah. I don't remember who said it. I think it was Steve Jobs, maybe, or Henry Ford, like some business luminary who's like, someone is going to make our product obsolete and undercut us, might as well be us. Mm. And I would suspect that Bamboo is going to do that sometime in the next couple of weeks or months or years. I don't know. A good, a good product strategy for anybody. I don't know if you know the, the good, better, best pyramid. 
no. you take a, a pyramid, on the bottom is the quantity of sales, the mass sales. That's your good product, the stuff that sells at Walmart or at the lowest price or the realities. The better is your higher end product right. that sells the lower quantity. And the best is your top of the line for the multimillionaires. And it's always good if the same company offers these various verticals right. um, that you can appeal to the people who have lesser money and would like the lower cost and want to go for the upper end echelon. So I'm looking yeah. forward to see, I believe Bamboo did everything right, have some really brilliant people behind them. I'm looking forward to see what they do. Absolutely. My hats are always off to every company that does something new and impressive and innovative. You know, yeah. there's always uh, respect for that. Yeah, I'll tell you, I am, uh, I'm very glad that my job is to talk about the printers and not design them because I, I, it is the competition has become so fierce in the last year. And I mean, even to be bamboo and be in the privileged position that they're in, like, you just got to imagine they're looking over their shoulder constantly, you know? Yeah. And this is happening to us as well. I mean, we're constantly, there's just printers are starting to come out with their own flex plates which which are getting close you know they're yeah. not our same quality um and it's just we're constantly seeing the knockoffs until the point where we have to say what are we going to do next and right even when we made the mutant which really was one of our um most elaborate long-term products to actually bring to market and that's our tool changing head you can mount on any machine i don't know if you know yep. the mutant. Yep. um we patented that we we caught some slack for patenting in this world of open source, but we really needed to protect ourselves. We made it clear to everybody that if you wanted to play with the design and improve it for yourself, non-commercial, please do it. You know, we, we yeah. weren't going to enforce the patent against the tinkers and the home people. We just did not want other Chinese companies basically just knocking us off. Sure. Um, but we see, you know, this innovation takes a long time and a, a big budget and yes. it's hard. We're yeah. just always for what where we're going to be able to help the end user to have a better experience whether it's yep. 3d print or post-production or pre and that's what wham bam is yeah and this it. this conversation comes up almost every single week now on the podcast where it's like if people want great innovation and they want you know companies to push the needle open source isn't cutting it anymore tom tom sandlander did a video on it like open source is no longer serving Open source gets you Prusa's level of innovation. New printer every five years, incremental, nothing against Prusa, but you know it, it's evolutionary, it's not revolutionary. When you start patenting the shit out of things and licensing your patents to anyone who wants to play ball, then you get bamboos, yeah. you know? And open source is, is really good for software, in my opinion, because or a shorter turnaround products where people could spend a couple hours here and there and improve a piece of code and put it out there. And for products, it's great as long as you have people willing to work for free. But if you're trying to support a company and support an R&D firm, uh, you, you just can't afford to do that. It takes way too much money. The amount of money that goes into manpower testing materials and molds yeah. is exorbitant. So we need companies who are also just leading the way with innovation. We yeah. all had a sour taste from from Stratus is patenting the heated chamber. I mean, that was terrible. They kept it all to themselves and wouldn't let right. anybody else use it. Now that that probably soured the market, but there's ethical ways and E3D has always done it very well, you know, right. even when they start 
patenting, you know, and sharing. And there are companies out there that do it. It's just a shame when you see companies like Slice Engineering have their newest hot end exactly mocked off, knocked off by a Chinese manufacturer, even using a similar logo, but changing it slightly or Bond Tech having these clones out there. It's, it's a shame. They spend a lot of money to do something really, really well. Somebody comes out with it. But, you know, it's the nature of our market, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. So we're almost uh, out of time here, Peter, but I do want to ask you, what's next for Wambam? Can you tell us what areas are, are you guys interested in? As you said, you know, a lot of printers are coming with flex plates now, but you guys aren't just flex plates. So uh, what are what are interesting areas for Wambam that you can tell us about? So a lot I can't tell you about, but the ones that I can, uh, some, um, we're doing some product line expansion, some of our hot boxes. We're offering a larger one for resin, which is really nice with a whole bunch of new features, which is really cool. wonderful. We are coming out with something for people who mount lasers to the printers in order to make it a lot safer for them. Safety is a big, uh, big element in our company. Uh, we're, we, we just find ourselves to be very moral, ethical and responsible, and we don't want to put out anything that risks anything. Sure. So we, we're going to help people. Um, and uh, I'm thinking about what we could some interesting toolkits the other stuff i really don't want to say until we're ready. <laughs> but yeah Fair we're enough. coming out with new stuff um and uh and we yeah we're working to to bring some surprise to the market hopefully awesome. next time we talk we can yeah talk well, about it. i will look forward to it until then i will enjoy my uh wham bam plates uh where can we send people? I know you guys have two websites. So Peter, tell us what's going on. And, and there's a 5% sale going on right now. So pitch, right. pitch us, man. I hate doing that part. But anyway, go to whambamsystems.com. That's our main informational website. And if you click on shop now, it brings you to our Shopify store, which unfortunately has a different URL. We're in the middle of getting on all Shopify, a beautiful site. But whambamsystems.com will bring you there. Um, yeah, and for this month, it's our fifth year anniversary. For the whole month, we're offering 5% automatically off anything you buy. Um, and there's different contests out there. Follow us on social and find out about them. There's ways to win $100 gift cards and some other really cool things happening this month. Get on our mailing list. You know, awesome. Feel free to reach out to us. We also really pride ourselves in giving one-on-one -on -one tech support, even for just general 3D stuff. You know, reach out to us. We're always there. Anything you need for technical, just technical at whambamsystems.com. Either myself yeah. or one of my team will respond. I can uh, attest to that. I, I've had questions for you guys and been like, what do, how do I get this filament to, to not stick so well? And you guys have been super responsive. So uh, you, guys, you guys are uh, doing God's work over there. And uh, I really appreciate your time. I appreciate the opportunity just to uh, explore your fascinating and super inspiring story. So, Peter, thanks so much for coming on today. I really enjoyed our conversation. I hope it was interesting. Thank you. All right. Take care, my friend. Take care. Bye-bye. And the buttons. Thanks for tuning in to the Infill Podcast. For show notes or links to anything mentioned in today's episode, visit thenextlayer.com. If you enjoyed the episode, please don't forget to leave us a review wherever you're listening or click the like button to let us know and consider subscribing to The Next Layer on YouTube so you can tune in live and participate in the next conversation. We'll see you on The Next Layer.